0: We are really blessed today. I've got a guest I'm going to introduce you in just a moment. Uh, We have a couple missions partners as a church, and one of them that's new to us this year is an organization called Inca Link. And this year in August, we'll be sending a team to Costa Rica. Who doesn't want to go to Costa Rica in August? Come on. And uh, it's going to be a great time. Here to tell you a little bit about it is Luke Schrieffer. Luke, come on out my friend Luke, y'all welcome him. Yes, yes. Um, Luke, tell us a little bit about yourself and about Inka Link. Yeah, good
1: morning, church. It's uh, it's great to be here and being hosted by you all here at the gathering. And it's been an exciting time. So Inka Link, uh, we exist to reach the 300 million youth of Latin America with yeah. Christ's irresistible love. We believe that if you can impact a young adult, a youth, with the gospel and, make, so, and uh, make them into a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, that's how families, communities, cities, and countries are changed. And so that's why we focus on. on the 300 million youth. Uh, we started in 2006— Literally in the middle of a garbage dump in Peru. Uh, Our youth pastors went to this garbage dump. They heard that kids were living in the garbage dump. They, They couldn't imagine it. So they went with some pizza and some fruit to hand hand out, and they youth thought youth
0: pastors maybe, and pizza—they're they they cr- crazy, be right? And they
1: the who else would go to a garbage dump but a youth pastor? Exactly, right? And so they go in and they think they're going to see you know two or three kids. They see eighty to hundred kids, wow. uh, and the our, our founder uh, he tells the story. He sees this little girl bend down and pick up a half-eaten apple out of the trash that had been mm. thrown away who knows how long ago. And she picks it up, and uh, with like pride and joy that she found this apple this treasure in the dump and then she eats it wow and the holy spirit planted uh the seed of inkling in the hearts of those youth pastors that day uh and that we then launched in 2006 uh 17 years later that same little girl and the kids of that community are graduating college because of the holistic ministry
0: come on yeah isn't that good (laughs) do you want to be a part of that Tell us a
1: little bit about Costa Rica. Yeah, so Costa Rica, we're amped about Costa Rica. It's one of our newest sites. Uh, It's in the grassroots foundation community building aspect of it, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool as a church to partner with something in that way. Because what that means is uh, you don't just get to come alongside something that's that's been happening for 15, 20 years, but you get to lay, sometimes physically lay the foundation of concrete, but you also get to lay the relational and the spiritual foundations that are happening there. Mm. So we've got a missionary team on the ground in San Jose, partnering with a church called Trace Rios. They're focusing on reaching three communities, including one Nicaraguan refugee community. Mm. Um, And so they're, they're in the, the, the startup, the church planting yeah, spirit of, yeah, of Costa Rica. Like that. And so you're going to come alongside them. You're going to work alongside them. You're going to strengthen them. One of the best things that a church can do when they come on a short term uh, trip, it's not the construction work, it's not the VBS program, it's not uh, even the evangelism that you're doing. It's coming alongside the local leaders and the pastors and yeah. saying, We're with you. We yeah. love you. We are encouraging
0: you. That's so and good. That, that sustains them for the rest of the year. That's great. Tell us a little bit about what the trip in August is going to be like. What can people expect?
1: Yeah, it's going to be great. You're going to be partnering with Jake, Jen, Edwards, and Sunday, uh, along with a few other individuals down there. Uh, You're going to... uh, you know, fly into San Jose. We'll pick you up. We're gonna host you really well. You're gonna eat really great uh, Costa Rican food, uh, but we're gonna put you to work. So yeah. come prepared, That's right. ready to work. Um, you're gonna. There's gonna be some construction type projects, uh, particularly with the church, and we've uh, gotten access to some community property yeah. that has sort of become dilapidated. Uh, so we're gonna work on that. Uh, you're gonna be do some sports ministries. So
0: there's some landscaping, it, some construction, working some with youth and
1: kids. Yeah. Uh, There might be some ESL, so English as second language. Uh, A lot of the students take English in uh, elementary school, and so helping them in tutoring. We have a tutoring program, an after-school tutoring program for teenagers, so there's going to be some teenage things uh, in that space. You'll go to the youth group, Uh, well, if there's teenagers on your team, they'll go to the youth group. Mm There will be some families uh, that are connecting and visiting with those families, working with the Nicaraguan refugees. Uh, It's going to be a real smorgasbord, uh, but that's kind of fun, because what that means is uh, there's something for everyone on the team to get connected with and do. So who should be thinking about going on this trip? Yeah, that's a great question because uh, we don't like to limit our trips, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, We would rather see anyone and everyone come who the Holy Spirit's leading them to come. Mm -hmm. And what I'm most excited about is Costa Rica's really set up very well for families, Mm -hmm. for families to take a short-term missions trip. Um, We've seen the most fruit out of short-term missions come when mom, dad, Kids are serving together. Wow. Uh, our oldest person that's ever come is 85. Our youngest yeah. has been three months. Come on. So, literally, uh, it's across the board. Uh, if you do have some skills, you're a construction worker, or a metal yeah. fab, or you're an ESL teacher, English as a second language teacher, uh, that would be super welcomed. Yeah. Uh, if you speak Spanish, that's also super welcomed. It's not a requirement, uh, yeah. but having a handful of people on your team that can help translate mm. and connect. But I think the biggest thing isn't about skills, it's about character and quality. Uh, come flexible. Yeah. Come with a, a mind as a learner and a heart as a server. There's mm. so much to learn from the global body of believers. You know, talk, Paul talks a lot about the body of believers, right? We've got a foot and a hand and an eye, and mm. you know, wh- who's the eye to say to the foot? In our North American context, we read that very much as this congregation. That's right. But he's talking about every believer that was, is, and will come in the whole world. That's right. So as a church in North America, what can we learn from the global body of believers in Costa Rica that
0: impacts how we see the gospel and how we reach people here in Asheville? That's awesome. Uh, So Jake and Jen Edwards, the missionaries who are on the ground there in Costa Rica and continuing the work there and starting it new and continuing it. There have been some folks there building relationships for years, and Jake and Jen are moving in. The way that we got connected to this organization is Jake is my wife's cousin, and he's been a church planner for years. Honestly, one of my influences as a church planner and pastor, an incredible communicator. His wife, Jen, has been passionate about missions Absolutely. for many, many years. And so they recently went into the full-time mission field with Inca Link. And yeah. we're just so excited to partner with them. You guys are going to love them. If you love me, you'll love them even more. And so... <laughs> um, uh, after service today, if you have any interest, and you heard the man, everybody should be thinking about this trip. It's for everyone. If, if you're thinking, I don't know if I have anything to add or any value to add, or I don't know, I don't speak the language, I don't have a skill, you are still able to add value Absolutely. on this trip. Absolutely. And so be praying about it, going to a, a missions interest meeting is not a commitment. It is there for you to find out if this is for you. And so right after service today, Luke is going to be in our Step 1 area. We will not be having Step 1. And uh, you can go in there, and he'll tell you a little bit more about the trip as well as answer any questions that you have. And so I would really encourage you to go hang out with him after service. Luke, thank yeah. you so much. You guys give thank him you. a hand. Thank you. Pastor, do you mind, do you mind if I pray for your service? Man, I love,
1: I love that. No, yeah. please. As solid partners, one of the best things we can do in partnering is praying for each other. So I just love to pray for the gathering. That's good. Father God, we come before you today and we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you made a way that we get to call each other's brothers and sisters, that we get to be co-laborers and ambassadors of your mission and of your kingdom. Lord, we pray for the gathering church. We pray for an anointing of the Holy Spirit on this congregation, that it not be about a building or process and procedures, but it be about uh, the individuals of this church going into the marketplace, going to the community of Asheville that they reach people in this community with the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that they have influence here uh, in their Jerusalem, in their Judea, in their Samaria, in the ends of the earth. Lord, I pray protection over them from the enemy and from things that try to get in the way of your good news being spread. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for his desire to do one thing, to glorify you, which led him to the cross, which allows us to be brothers and sisters, but above all, allows us to be beloved sons and daughters of you. Lord, we pray for the gathering. We thank you for them. I pray for Pastor John Mark and his, his words right now. May they not be from him, but be from you. Yes. May they rest on the hearts of each one of us, and may your spirit uh, communicate, speak to us, guide, direct us in everything we do. In your name we pray.
0: Amen. 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 Thanks, Luke. All right. Well, hey, we are in our second week of Jonah. And uh, I was so grateful to Mikey for opening it up with a great message last Sunday. Yeah, y'all give Mikey a hand. If you missed it, you gotta go online or go on to our our podcast or to our website and watch it or listen to it. Great, great message. To sum it up, what happens in the story, not all the incredible points Mikey had, you gotta listen to him for that. But in the story of Jonah, uh, the man is supposed to be going to the city of Nineveh. He's a minor prophet. He's going to the, you know what, I'm ADHD, and I've got to acknowledge for some of you that I have a blue thumb today. Some of you guys are going to notice my blue thumb, and I keep noticing it, and I just have to talk about it so I can move on. (laughs) I wiped some marker off of one of those name tags with my thumb and could not wash it off, so there we are, in case you're wondering. Uh, Jonah, Jonah, chapter 1 introduces us to a minor prophet named Jonah. He's a minor prophet because he wasn't a prophet to the entire country. That'd be a major prophet or to the world is a major prophet. He was like your friendly neighborhood prophet. He was a minor prophet, but he was given a major assignment from God to go to this place called Nineveh. a very dangerous city, a scary place where prophets were killed, and he bring the message of repentance to that city. God said, they're ready to hear it. Jonah said, I'm out of here. No way. He goes, Running to Tarshish. He gets on a boat. A big storm comes. The storm threatens to break the ship apart. Uh, and so the men are the sailors are all trying to figure out what to do. Jonah 1:12. Jonah says, "...pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me this great tempest has come upon you." And so he shares this with him. He says, it's me. And and Jonah 1.17, after they throw him into the water, it says, "...the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights." So that's where we are. We're going to get into Jonah chapter 2 today. I have some things to share with you. This is a bizarre story. If you grew up in Sunday school, this is one of the stories that you definitely learned. Maybe you've been thinking about it for years. It's kind of in our popular culture. We, we talk about it. We're, most people are aware of the story of Jonah and the whale, and it's a, it's a bizarre story. It kind of doesn't follow the laws of common sense or the laws of nature. Fish don't generally swallow people falling up into the sea up. And if they do, those people don't generally just chill there for three days and three nights like Pinocchio. That's not how it normally works in the world. Maybe you've had a hard time with this story because you think, how could this be real? The digestive juices are a serious problem, okay? Jonah couldn't just be, whales have multiple stomachs, all right, and so would Jonah be able to even fit in one of them? I don't know. I want to remind you, if that's you, if that's your hang up with the story of Jonah, that in the very beginning of this book, it says the world, the whole universe was darkness and God spoke the word words let there be light and it came into existence that from start to finish a lot of unbelievable things happened throughout the Bible. I don't know what happened in that fish. Maybe God made a little room for Jonah in there. Maybe he invented a new fish for Jonah. Maybe Jonah was sitting on a raft like Pinocchio. That's the image I always get in my mind. little candle so that he could see so he could write this stuff down. I don't know. Who knows what God did, but we believe that God did it because our God does impossible things from start to finish throughout the story of Scripture and the story of humanity. It's a remarkable, remarkable story. So, let's get to today's text, Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2 is the prayer of Jonah. Jonah is in the belly of a whale, and for three days and three nights, he's waiting, and he's praying. For three days and for three nights, he's waiting, and he's praying. And the summary of his prayers is written in chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. That means hell. And you heard my voice, and you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sights, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple." The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And yet you brought, my, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord My God, he is not just talking about getting swallowed up by the whale. He's talking about feeling overwhelmed. He's talking about the things that drove him to give up on what God was calling him to do. He's talking about the days and the weeks and the months that led to this moment. And he's talking about jumping into the ocean during a storm and feeling absolutely desperate and hopeless. And he says, yet... You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Nothing poetic about the ending there. Jonah got puked up. Bless him. It's a bad week. Have you had a bad week, I wonder? A bad month? A bad year? A bad decade? A bad couple of years? A bad season? Who hasn't had a bad week in the last couple of years? Who hasn't had a bad month or a bad moment? I wonder in those moments where it feels overwhelming, where we feel like we're drowning, where we feel like we've been tossed out of the boat, where we feel overwhelmed by it all, how we can respond, how we can respond. Maybe you're with us today and you're not a believer and you found your life at a crossroads. You want more in this life. You know there's more. You're becoming aware that your life apart from God just keeps landing you in mess after mess. It just keeps getting emptier and emptier, and that's why you came through our doors this morning. Maybe uh, you're here today, and you are a Christian But if you're honest with yourself and with God, you've been on your way to Tarshish for a long time now. You've been going the opposite of the direction that God wanted you to go in. He put a calling or a purpose on your life and you've been ignoring it, running from it, trying to disappear out of its way for a long time, unwilling to do it. It's hard to follow God. It's hard to be a public follower of Jesus in this day and age. He wants us to do things that could make us unpopular, that can make us uncomfortable, and oftentimes we're unwilling to do it. And so maybe in those hard times, in those seasons, whichever group you're in, you've stopped praying just as Jonah did. You distanced yourself from God, from the church, from other Christians. But there's been a storm on the water for quite a while now, and the ship is beginning to break apart. Jonah gives you a path to follow in his prayer. One of the things that I love to do, and that really is a big part of my prayer life, is praying the Scriptures. I believe that the Bible is a powerful tool, not just for study and for understanding God, but also for communicating with God. I pray the Scriptures every single week, multiple days out of the week, different ways, different Scriptures. And the prayer of Jonah is an incredible prayer for you to pray in times of distress in times where you feel that you've got to make a change in your heart, when you, when you know you've been following the wrong direction, that you've been moving in the wrong speed for a long time, and you're ready to come back. The prayer of Jonah is one of the greatest comeback prayers in the Bible. In fact, whenever you're reading through scriptures and you see a prayer like this, it's good to write it down and put that reference aside and say, I want to learn how to pray this prayer. So I want to show you real quick how to pray the prayer of Jonah, and then I want to tell you a couple things that I think we can learn from the prayer of Jonah this morning. First, as we pray the prayer of Jonah, we begin with confession. Jonah's confession comes right before his prayer, at the very end of chapter 1. And it came out loud, and it came to people. Mikey talked about the value of community just last week. And Jonah confesses to the sailors that he's been running from God. Throw me in the sea and it'll become calm because this whole mess is a result of my sin. Begin your prayer of Jonah with confession. And while silent confession to God is good, audible confession to somebody you trust is even better. James 5:16 says confess your sins one to another and pray for each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Pray and confess. Maybe you need a mentor to confess to, somebody from your life group or somebody whose life is where you want yours to be. Tell them that you've been running from God, the ways that you've sinned against God, the things you've done in secret or the things you've done in public that you want to change. And healing comes from confession. Confession and then repentance. The first part of Jonah's prayer is all about repentance, repentance. Mikey talked about repentance last week. Repentance is a beautiful word that means to turn, to turn. I was going in this direction, I repent, and I start going again in the direction I was made to go in. I want to be set back on the purpose I was created with and continue in that direction. Jonah turns in verse 4. He says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. He had his eyes fixed on the direction he was going in, on what he wanted to do. He said, God, I'm not going to do what you want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And his eyes were going in that direction. But it says, then I shall look upon your temple. He changed his sight. Repentance is just simply changing what it is you're following, what it is you're looking at, the direction your eyes are taking you. Jonah thought he was going to die. He's distraught. He's in all this trouble that he brought upon himself. And he says, I'm coming back. I was in the shadows, but I'm returning to the light. And he turns. Again in verse 7 When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. I was fainting away, but I remembered the Lord. Do you know what it feels like to feel like you're fainting away? Are you drifting into darkness? Remember the Lord, repent, and your prayers will enter into his presence. Repent. Make the turn with Jonah and see what happens. Confess and then make a conscious decision in an out loud prayer to stop going away from God and start moving towards him. Confession, repentance, and worship. Worship is next. Worship rights, wrongs. Worship fixes perspectives worship connects you with the purpose of your creation verse 8 says those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love in other words you are not going to find what you're looking for in anything aside from God but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you I won't worship the idols of this world anymore. I'll stop worshiping the idols of success. I will stop worshiping the idols of security. I will stop worshiping the idol of myself and the idol of platform and the idol of influence and the idol of sex, and I will worship God. No matter how far you've run from him, worship draws you right back into his presence. Confession, repentance, repentance. Worship and then surrender. The prayer of Jonah ends in surrender. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Okay, God, I'm done running. Have your way with me. Whatever you ask of me, I will do it. I am yours. I'm choosing joy and peace in a relationship with you over the false happiness I've been pursuing on my own. The prayer of Jonah will bless you when you feel like you need a direction to turn in, when you feel that you have gone as far as you can on your own and you're ready to turn around, confession, repentance, worship, and surrender. The prayer of Jonah. I want to give you three thoughts from this chapter. First is that your disobedience doesn't disqualify you. Your disobedience doesn't disqualify you. You know, my favorite thing about Jonah's story is that he receives a calling from God, a purpose from Him, just like you did. Just like you. You have been called by God to go into this world and make disciples. You've been given a command just as clear as His Go into this world and make disciples. Use your unique set of gifts. And do it the way that only you can. See, you have a purpose in this life. You have a purpose. You are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do the good works he prepared in advance for you to do. He has a dream for you. He has a plan for your life, a purpose for you, and it's not as complicated as we tend to make it. It's a lot simpler than you think it is. His plan for your life is that you might glorify God and serve others, that you might glorify God and serve others and do what Jesus called you to do, which is to share his gospel to the very ends of the earth. You've been called and Jonah receives the calling that he's given, and he abandons it. He turns his face up at it. He betrays it. He, he just completely ignores it, goes as far away from it as he can. He throws his calling away. But God sends a fish to catch him, because God's not done with him. He hasn't disqualified him. He hasn't forgotten him. He won't ignore him. He is going to be right there to catch him in his consequences. God's not finished with him, and he's not finished with you either. You are not disqualified because of your disobedience. doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, who you've been. You are not disqualified because of your disobedience. Isaiah 41, he says, Do not fear, for I am with you, says the Lord. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When you fall, and it doesn't matter how far down you fall, it doesn't matter the height that you fall from and the depth that you fall to, God's hand is reaching down to pick you up. And his calling on your life is not revoked. And it is just as important right now as it was the day that he called you. Disobedience does not disqualify you. The second thing that I notice in this story is don't miss a crucial moment. Don't miss a crucial moment. Your biggest failures can lead to your best decisions. Your biggest failures can lead to your best decisions. Jonah failed. He was given a task, and he absolutely, fundamentally failed at it. Go to Nineveh, he goes to Tarshish. But there, in the consequences of that fail, failure, and in the belly of a whale, he says, I will keep my vows to you, God. I will go to Nineveh. Whatever happens to me, happens to me, because I am yours, now, I know you're thinking, obviously he did. He was in a whale. Where else was he going to go? But i would put this to you. Jonah did not expect to get eaten by a whale. And if you're eaten by a whale, is the first thought in your mind, God sent this whale to me. This is a gift from God, this whale. I am inside this whale with Geppetto on my little raft, <laughs> my talking grasshopper, because God is rescuing me right now. No, that's not what you're going to think. You're going to think, what do I do now? What's next? Honestly, the most obvious choice for Jonah is to give up, to give in, to just wait to die. And for so many of us, when we have failed at something, I mean, absolute, colossal, fundamental, from the ground up, failed. When we felt called to something and we didn't do it, when we, when we had a dream and it just broke apart in our fingers, we watched it fall through our hands like sand at the beach. Oftentimes, our response is just to give up, to drift, to coast, to wait to die, to say, I'm not going to reach that high again. I'm not going to go that far again. God doesn't want anything to do with me. The world doesn't want anything to do with me. I'm just in this whale now. That's not what Jonah does. He understands that he's in a crucial moment. He knows the power of God, and he's gonna call upon that power at this exact time. I believe that if you fail, you have a great opportunity ahead of you. Failing is good for you. It gives you the opportunity to learn. It gives you the opportunity to build character when you fail absolutely and completely the way that Jonah did, you can let it build something great inside of you. First John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If your failure is just a disobedience to God, you went the opposite direction of the life that you know he had in mind for you. It says that God is faithful and just, not just to forgive you and say it's okay, but to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to remake you the way that he dreamed you up in the very beginning, to reset, to restart. So we're forgiven and we're also refined by our failures. Zechariah 13, God speaking about his people. He says, I'll refine them like silver and I'll test them like gold and they will call on my name and I will answer them, and I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. Gold and silver are not refined by gently being massaged and washed. They're refined through fire, by being melted down and having the impurities removed. When you fail, when it falls apart, when you are in the belly of a whale, when everything collapses around you, that is the moment that God wants to separate everything that is keeping you from Him. He wants you to be refined by it, to uh, be uh, learned from it, and to have the opportunity to be forgiven through it. The last thing that we'll learn here is that dependence born in desperation is still dependence. Maybe you hear this story and you're just kind of skeptical. Jonah and the whale, the whole thing. I don't know. Does it really count? Does Jonah's win here really count? I mean, does his surrender really count? Does his confession really count? Does his repentance really count? I mean, what other choice does he have? There's a hurricane and the boat is going to break apart. And so Jonah jumps ship or... He gets thrown overboard because he can't do it himself. And he's in the ocean and he's tangled up in seaweed and he's not, he's really not doing too well in the water alone without a boat. And so he gets eaten up by a fish. He's not on the road driving to Tarshish and he has a revelation that makes him do a U-turn and do the right thing. It's not like he was listening to a podcast and he he got convicted and he said, you know what, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And he turns around and says, let me follow God and do the right thing. Maybe that would count, right? That's not what happens. Jonah's inside a fish. And maybe inside the fish, his easiest option is to give up and die to just call it quits to say I disobeyed God and this is the direction that I'm going in now I'm inside of a fish it's a lot worse than being outside of a fish I guess I'll die but he doesn't do that he surrenders to God but it really was the only other option he had aside from giving up was the belief that God could rescue him from that hopelessness so he was completely desperate I mean really desperate. I I, I just wonder if you've ever felt that desperate. If you've ever been in a place where you just don't know what else to do but rely on God. Where you've tried everything else and you've gone down every other avenue, every other road and it didn't work. The ship broke apart. And now you've got the options to either call it quits, to give up, or to depend completely on God. And maybe it crossed your mind in that spot, but if I, if I only turn to him when I'm desperate, does it really matter? Does it really count? Is it the same? Jonah was being digested and he's begging God for his life. This isn't dependence born from righteousness or a change of heart. This is dependence on God and even obedience to God born out of a place of complete desperation. But guess what? It is still dependence and God still counts it. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. See, it just doesn't matter what circumstances push you into a relationship with God. It doesn't matter what circumstances push you to say that you're sorry. You know, maybe you've been conditioned to believe that in order for sorry to count... Gotta, it's got to come from the right place. God doesn't care. You can be as desperate as you've ever been, crying out to him because you've got nowhere else to go, and he will hear you, forgive you, and heal you, because that's the kind of God that he is. Jonah has a big job ahead of him. The whale vomits Jonah up, you know? That's terrible. I kind of would have preferred him to be launched out of the blowhole and land on the ground like this. Like, here I am. Use me, God. No, that's not how it works. (laughs) You don't just land on your feet all pretty and ready to go. Sometimes your transition from being desperate to being used by God again is a little bit ugly. It's a little uncomfortable. It doesn't look the way you dreamed it would look. It's not always Instagram worthy. Sometimes it's tumultuous. You're still pretty messy. I mean, goodness gracious, the man was, can you imagine the smell coming off of Jonah? It can be messy. The transition back isn't always easy. But God had so much left for Jonah to do. He had such a big dream in mind. We're going to get into chapter 3 next week. And I can't wait for you to see what God does in Jonah chapter 3. God does such a mighty and amazing and big thing in Jonah chapter 3. But in order for us to get there, we had to go through Jonah chapter 2. He had to hit this point of desperation that led him back to obedience in God. And maybe maybe that's where you still are. Maybe you're still in this Part of the story where it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of hope ahead for you, like there's a a whole lot of purpose ahead for you, like it's going to be glamorous ever again. And maybe the transition won't be. Maybe it'll be a little bit messy. You might smell a little bit for some time there, but God is not done. There is a bigger story that is being told, and He has dreams for you that are bigger than anything you could ever imagine. And so, if you're in here this morning, and uh, you've been running from God, you know maybe, maybe you've just been upset, mad, angry. It's hard to hard to put it in words. You've lost so much, you've been through so much. Maybe you were in a season where you felt prepared to be used by God. Jonah was in God's service for decades before he sent this season. And then everything fell apart. COVID happened or life happened. and You've just been going your own way for a while. Maybe you're in here today and you've, you've never really followed him. You've felt a need in your heart that you didn't know how to put words to. And you've tried to fill it with every single thing you could imagine. You've tried to go to every Tarshish on the map. You've been to every city of your desire and your heart that you could find and fathom. And none of them led you to the peace and the joy that you were looking for. And now you've got a choice. You either just sit and wait to die. Or you make a decision to surrender yourself completely to Him. Either camp, wherever you are hearing this message... He is ready to receive you. He is excited. He is smiling. He is arms wide open, prepared to use you in a mighty way. If you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, every head bowed, every eye closed, would you say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I repent. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for going my own way for so long. God, I want to turn and go in the direction that you dream for me to go in, to go in in your way, to follow your purpose. God, I repent before you today. God, I confess my sin. I believe in you. I worship you. I honor you. And God, I surrender to you. All that I am is yours. Use me. Jesus' name. One more prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're in here today and you are in a place of desperation. Maybe God's been a part of your life for a long time, but you haven't been going the way he wants you to go. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, forgive me. Forgive me for knowing what you wanted me to do and not doing it. I submit myself to you today. Whatever you would have me do, God, Put it before me and I will go. I repent. I follow you from this moment forward. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen.